Thanks, Ant. Uh, good morning, everyone. It's great to be back up here with you. As Ant said, we are uh, continuing our series in the parables of Jesus Christ. Over six weeks, we're looking at different parables, different teachings that Jesus says. And today, we're going to be in Luke 14. So if you want to open or tap your way to Luke 14, we're going to be looking at the parable of the great banquet. It will also come up on the screen, but it might be handy to have your Bible in front of you because unlike some of the other parables that we've been through, this parable is a story within a story within a story. This parable is a short story that Jesus tells uh, amongst a story of Jesus being at a supper uh, surrounded by Pharisees and people who are watching him and ready to test him within the bigger story of Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem. And in Luke's account, it's important to know and understand everything that is going on when Jesus tells this parable. So hopefully you're there in uh, Luke 14, and I'm going to read from uh, verse 1, just verse 1 to give us some context, and then I'm going to jump to verse 15. Okay, so that's, that's where we're going to be. The, the big idea of today, the, the big idea that Jesus is wanting to get across with his parable is he's talking about the kingdom of God. And his idea is that those people who think they are in the kingdom of God might find themselves outside of the kingdom. And, and those who are outside of the kingdom of God, Jesus is bringing right into the center of his kingdom. Those who are in might be out, and those who are out might be in. Jesus is turning the tables and helping the Jewish people that he's around to reimagine what his kingdom is actually all about. So I'm going to read, and then I'll pray for us again, and then we'll get going in this. Okay. Luke uh, 14, verse 1. One Sabbath, when he went to dine at the house of a ruler of the Pharisees, they were, uh, they were watching him carefully. Jumping to uh, verse 15, he said also to the man who had, oh, sorry, that's wrong. <laughs> verse 15, when one of those who was reclining at the table heard Jesus say these things, he said to him, blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. But Jesus said to him, a man once gave a great banquet. Sorry, I lost my place. A man once gave a great banquet and invited many people. And at the time of the banquet, he sent his servants to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field and I must go and see it. Please have me excused. And another said to him, I have bought five yoke of oxen. And I go to examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. Just aside, husbands, that's a terrible excuse. Please never use that ever. Okay, it's not going to go well for you. So these three excuses are here. And then we pick it up uh, in verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry. And said to his servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. And the servant came back to him and said, sir, what you've commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the servant, 
go out into the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who were invited shall taste my banquet. Those who think they are in might find themselves outside. And those who think that they are on the outside, Jesus is bringing into the very center of his kingdom. Let me pray quickly. Father God, this parable is a wonderfully encouraging and challenging parable at the same time. And we don't want to run away from the challenges. We don't want to run away from the encouragements. We want to be open hearts and open ears. We want to absorb everything. We want to have a sincere faith where we learn to follow you more and more. So come and show us the different things that are happening here. Come and expose to us. Come and challenge us. We want to grow and to love you more and more. Amen. Amen. If you are a visitor here this morning or if you still feel new or if you're still in a journey whereby you haven't put your faith in Jesus yet but you're just trying to work out who he is to you and what are some of the things he says and does, uh, can I suggest that this parable and actually this chapter is a great chapter to enter into your investigation of Jesus because there are things that he does and that he says here that are potentially surprising and potentially intriguing to you. So I'm going to, as we go through the story, sometimes speak to the Christian, sometimes speak to the non-Christian. And I think that all of us here can learn from some of the intrigue and some of the complexity of what Jesus is saying to us. Okay. So verse 15, there's a man who is at uh, this supper invite with the Pharisees, and he gives a statement. He's not asking a question. He gives a statement about the kingdom of God. And Jesus uh, uses the opportunity to launch into a parable because the man's statement isn't correct. It's not accurate. It's not what Jesus is trying to do. And by this time in Luke's gospel, Jesus has already taught on the kingdom. And he's already become harsher and harsher and, and stronger in what he's saying to the Pharisees about the kingdom. So Jesus takes this opportunity to readdress some of the uh, misunderstandings about his kingdom. And he launches into a parable in verse 16. The parable is about a banquet, and the banquet symbolizes the kingdom of God. Throughout the Bible, actually, Old Testament and New Testament, whenever you see mention of banquets or feasts or gatherings or weddings, they are pictures for us. They are symbols for us. And it's all pointing to Revelation 19. It's all pointing to a day when the people of God are going to be in union with God, when the victory has won, when Jesus is ruling, when we are all together, and there's going to be a joyous celebration. In Revelation 19, it's a picture of a wedding feast, and it's a symbolism of the joyous union of Jesus and his people coming together. And so this banquet that is here, this parable about a banquet, is a parable about the kingdom of God. And the master is God, and the master has sent out invitations to the people that are there to come and enjoy the banquet of God. So God is inviting people to come into his kingdom and to enjoy the glorious celebration of being forever with the king. And then in the parable... When the invites go out, we find that 
although they seem to have known about the kingdom, they seem to have known what was going to happen, we find that in turn, one by one, we have three different people giving three different excuses for why they can no longer attend the banquet. These are excuses, reasons why people of God are going to reject the call to be in the kingdom. Those who think that they are in the kingdom might find themselves outside of the kingdom. And those who find themselves outside of the kingdom, actually Jesus is going to bring in. Because once we read these three excuses, Jesus, uh, God, the master, then sends out his servants again, and he says, go. And he says, go to a particular group of people, to the poor and the crippled and the blind and the lame. We're going to see why that's important in a moment. And then there's still room in the house of God. And did you notice verse 23? God's desire is to fill his house. God's desire is to save people. And so God sends his servant out again, and he says, go to the hedges and to the highways. He's saying, go out of the city. He's reframing their understanding of the kingdom because what he's really saying is, go to the Gentiles. Go to everyone. The kingdom of God, the house is open for everyone who wants to participate. And so the parable that is there is, is meant to readdress some uh, misunderstandings about the kingdom of God, but it's also meant to draw us in. You are, when you read this parable, meant to be drawn in to some of the different characters of the parable. It's one of the many reasons why Jesus tells so many parables, because he can just give a teaching and it can just be knowledge. Or it could be a story where you begin to identify with a character and you begin to think, wow, that's, that's like me, or that's like when that happened here. And, and you're drawn into the character, and you begin to learn principles and engage with its meaning in a much deeper way. I think there are two things that are happening in this section, in Luke 14. I think the first thing that is happening here is that Jesus is challenging religion and religious people. Jesus is challenging religion and religious people. To understand this, we need to rewind and to go back to the beginning of chapter 14, okay? Because this parable actually comes at the end of a supper, at the end of a, a dinner, where different things have already happened and occurred. Jesus has been building and building and building to this parable. So we need to understand what's going on here because in each different stage of the supper, Jesus is presenting a new challenge to people who think they're in the kingdom and actually aren't. He's presenting a new challenge to people who are so fixated on religion that, that, that they are missing the key ingredient, i.e. Jesus is right in front of them, and Jesus is inviting them to the banquet. So we're going to just zoom through some of the things that have been going on. Okay, so the first thing that happens is in verse 1, he's invited to this uh, supper by the house of the ruler of the Pharisees. So it's not just the Pharisees, it's the ruler of the Pharisees. And you can imagine the kind of people that he's going to invite to, to a supper. So Jesus is there, and then the first challenge, the first confrontation that happens immediately is that there is a man there who suffers from a medical condition, suffers from dropsy, and everyone is watching and waiting to see if Jesus is going to break the Sabbath and heal this person. 
everyone is waiting and watching for this moment. And this is going to be Jesus' third and final time in the Gospels where he heals someone on the Sabbath. And so he heals this man, and the man gets up and he goes on his way. He turns back to the Pharisees, and he says to the Pharisees, which one of you would not do that if it was your son or if it was your oxen? Jesus presses in. His first challenge and confrontation is that these guys are so fixated on the rules that they're forgetting the people that's right in front of them. He's challenging the legalism that is surrounding the Pharisees and the prominent religious people of the day. He's saying, you are so fixated on your to-do list and your checklist and your do's and your don'ts, and your rules and your regulations, and all of the extra rules that you put on top of the rules that were given in the Old Testament. You're so fixated on that. You're forgetting there's a person here. If you're a non-Christian who is here this morning, you're still just working out who Jesus is, can I just point something out to you right now? Christianity is not a killjoy faith. It's not a list of rules and regulations you have to follow. It's about a deep care and love for God and for people. That is what Christianity is about. And so this challenge that Jesus gives to the Pharisees, number one, is a challenge of legalism. A challenge of, it's not, you're just following rules. You're not loving people. Immediately after that, we go into verse 7. And the next thing that happens in verse 7 is that they are beginning to sit down in places. And Jesus notices that what happens is basically a power grab. It's, it's basically people are rushing to take the best seats in the house. I know that most of us have probably been to numerous weddings, and you know that when it comes to the, the time to eat the awesome food that is at the wedding, you have the, the couple and the bridal party and the parents who are at the top of the table, and you know that you don't sit there, right? Like, like you know that you don't sit. Can you imagine how awkward it would be if you're just like sitting there and then someone's got to come to you and be like, uh, dude, get out the way. You're like, oh. And then the social etiquette of the whole wedding has just been shot through the roof. It's awkward. It's embarrassing. Jesus is, tells a parable about the wedding feast. And he tells a parable about sitting in places of honor. And what he's doing is he's calling out the power grab that he's just seen in front of him. He's calling out the pride and the arrogance and the self-interest that is in the Pharisees. Ironically enough, the Pharisees are so busy trying to get their temporary seats at the table, they're completely forgetting the heavenly position of their father. And it's actually a bit of a trade. It's like they're trading in their heavenly position for an earthly position. And we're going to see how foolish that is later. The first challenge is legalism. The second challenge is pride that is there. And then as soon as this moment has happened, we go into another moment, verse 12. And in verse 12, Jesus turns to the person who has invited him. And Jesus says to this person, and he's calling out what he's seeing in front of him. He says to this person, all of the people that are here that you've invited, you've invited because you know that they can repay you. That's what he says. He's calling out the, the lack of sincerity of this man's good works. Because it's so easy to look religious and do religious things. But Jesus sees right to the heart of everything we do. So every action that you take, every word you speak, every thought you think, it might look good on paper. But Jesus is right to the heart, and he knows what's going on in your heart and why you're doing what you're doing. 
And so Jesus calls it out from this person. He says, this looks like generosity. This looks like hospitality. It's not. It is about generosity and hospitality, but it's about more than that. It's about the sincerity of what you're doing. It's about how genuine you are and what you're doing. Do you know that our kids upstairs, they've been learning about the Beatitudes recently. It's about being pure in heart, and it's about being poor in spirit. Paul was a, a church mentor, church planter. He wrote to a young guy, Timothy, rising through the ranks, uh, wanting to take over uh, a church area and be a big influence in the kingdom. Paul writes to Timothy, the aim of your charge is love that comes from a pure heart, a clear conscience, and a sincere faith. That is what Jesus is calling out of this guy. And he calls it out by listing four different people. The poor, the crippled, the blind, the lame. I think we've heard these four before, right? He calls them out and he says, if you were really sincere about your generosity and your sacrifice and your love of God, they are the people that you would invite. You would invite the people who you know couldn't repay you because you're not seeking payment. You're not seeking worldly gain. So he uses the outcasts, the people who are out of the kingdom of God, to show the people who think they're in the kingdom of God just how far away they actually are. The third challenge is a challenge of religious fakeness, a lack of sincerity. I would have used the word authenticity, but I think churches around the world have like killed that word to dead. So we're going to go for sincerity and fakeness, okay? And then the, the final challenge that, that we have, and it goes into our parable, the final challenge that we have are the people who make excuses. The final challenge that we have are the people who make up reasons and excuses through their religion and through their fake faith to not engage with God, to not accept invitations with God, and to not put God where he should be. And so the fourth challenge that Jesus is going to call out, and he's calling out through the parable, is a challenge of religious idolatry. And if you haven't been in church for, uh, until just recently, you might be unfamiliar with the word idolatry. An idol is something that we put before God, that we make more important than God. It's kind of like the thing that you're centering yourself around. And the, and the Bible makes it extremely clear, it's God or it's nothing. But every single person who's ever lived has a problem with putting things before God. St. Augustine was an African theologian and a bishop in the 4th century. He said the fundamental problem of humanity is disordered loves. Disordered loves. Loves that are out of order and out of place. And the fourth thing that Jesus is challenging is the disordered loves in the people that he sees around him. He, he's challenging the things that they have put above God. And they have decided to make more important than God. And his message through the parable is, these things, these excuses that you make, means you're going to reject the invitation to the kingdom. It means that even though you think you're going to be on the inside, you're actually going to find yourselves on the outside. Of this list here, just if you will allow me for a moment to speak to the Christians who are in the room, of this list here, where is Jesus prodding you right now? Where is Jesus poking you right now? And if you are like me, you're like, all four, <laughs> numerous times, every day. 
But there might be something where you feel Jesus just through the Holy Spirit just pressing you in right now. I had a moment with the, this first one, this Jesus Challenges Legalism, where uh, my wife, Nokwazi, and I, we were talking about something a couple of weeks ago at, at, at church, uh, just like a theological thing, and I was so focused on getting the theology right and the rules right and the good practice right, and, and Nokwazi just said, Tom, there's a person that we're talking about here. I'm like, oh, yeah, <laughs> you're right. I'm so glad that she always sees that when sometimes I can get blindsided by my rules and my to-do lists and my perfect theology and perfect practice. Maybe it's challenging the motivations of your heart. If you are a Christian in the room, why are you here this morning? Why are you here this morning? Why were you in your community group last week or this coming week? Why did you pick up the Bible the last time you picked up your Bible? Because all of those things are great, and all of those things we should do. But all of those things, Jesus is more concerned about your heart. He's more concerned about your motivations. He's more concerned about your sincere faith. So do an audit. Where is Jesus pressing you? To the, the people in the room who are still working out who Jesus is, and still trying to figure out for yourselves, what, what are some of the things he's saying, what is he like? Sometimes Christians can paint a, a a bad picture of Jesus. Sometimes you look at the person and you think, That's, that doesn't seem like it fits with your faith. That doesn't seem consistent with, with who you say you're believing in and trusting in. And can, can I just point out that this picture might be a different picture of God than maybe you've seen before. Jesus cares more about people than he cares about rules. Jesus cares more about humility than he does about pride. Jesus cares more about sincerity than he does about self-gain, self-exaltation, and just trying to work your way through religious good works. And Jesus is more interested in people who come with pure and honest hearts and put him first before everything else. And some of those things might be a little bit surprising. But Jesus here is not just presenting a picture of who's in and who's out of the kingdom. He's presenting a picture of who's the king of the kingdom too. And this is the kind of king that we have in charge of our kingdom. But if you will allow me, I want to press in on our parable a little bit. And I want to press in on the excuses that are given. Because these excuses that are given are excuses that seem, quite frankly, ridiculous, uh, but have a little bit more weight than, than they first realize. And each of us here, we are at the very least in danger of adopting idols, or most of us here, I think, including me, definitely me, are currently having a battleground fight with an idol of some kind. And so it's worth picking out and, and focusing on these excuses that are given. The excuses that are given are threefold. Okay? One says, I've bought land and I need to go and examine it. You're going to examine the land before you buy it. Like, that's, that's what you're going to do. The second one is, is oxen, five yoke of oxen. That means ten oxen, five pairs. And he says, I've just bought ten oxen and I now need to go and see them. You're like, 
again, first century Jewish culture, your whole livelihood is based around agricultural work. You're not going to buy without examining. So, so again, it's an invalid excuse. And the third one, can we just all agree the most ridiculous excuse in human history? Can we just, I'm married. Bring your wife. Like, just do it. It's a silly, silly excuse. Leon Morris is a commentator on this, and he says that these excuses are transparent excuses that portray the heart's intentions. These excuses are transparent excuses that betray all of the heart's intentions. For a Jew in first century uh, Israel, to own land is to be your source of wealth. And to have oxen to work on the field is going to be your livelihood. And to be married to someone is going to be your main relationship, your primary relationship. So money and careers and relationships. They suddenly don't seem quite so silly. They suddenly seem like things that we still struggle with today. These excuses that are presented for reasons to not attend the banquet of God, the kingdom of God, to not accept the invitation of God, is an elevation of different worldly things over and above God. John Calvin writes that these things entangle the invitees so that they cannot move to even accept the invitation. They are worldly entanglements, worldly concerns, the things of this world that we give ourselves to and that we're a part of, but if we're not careful, it's going to become a distorted love and it's going to become the main thing and suddenly we're going to realize we can't even get to the invitation because we're so entangled by the things that we are wrapped around. So what are some of the things that we are wrapped around? What are some of the things that are holding you back right now? What are some of the excuses or the reasons or the idols that are stopping us from accepting the gracious invitation of God? Do you notice the banquet isn't a bring and bray? Do you notice it's a just come along to my banquet? Do you notice it's just, just come and enjoy? It's just a free gift, which shows the folly of then rejecting a free gift. It shows that the silliness of saying, no, I prefer these other things. All of these other things are going to fade away. All of these other things, they're not lasting. They're not going to last. All of these things are stopping us from getting to the one thing that's really going to last. And the one thing that's really going to satisfy, which is the kingdom of God. And just being with the king of the kingdom of God forever. And, and the Revelation 19 picture of just a joyous, beautiful celebration full of glory with everyone around. And finally, we get to see the majesty of Jesus. Like eyeball to eyeball, we get to see his glory and his power and his worth. We get to realize, oh, I knew he was worthy, but I never knew he was that worthy of all my love and all my devotion and all of my praise. And we're going to be there forever with him. All we have to do is accept the invitation. All we have to do is make sure that we're not getting entangled by things that are going to fade away and not satisfy us anyway. So what are some of the excuses that, that you have right now? 
I uh, was I was on Twitter this week and I saw Jackie Hill Perry uh, tweeted the shortest and one of the most profound sentences that I that I've kind of like was hit by in a very long time. Jackie Hill Perry is uh, everything. She's a rapper, spoken word artist, author, preacher. She's awesome. Um, and she in the states just just quote, um, gave, sent out this little tweet and it just it was like a just been hit by a mega block. It's, it's up here for us. Your idols don't love you back. Your idols do not love you back. You are giving yourselves away to things that will never satisfy, things that aren't eternal and are going to fade away, and things that aren't even going to love you the way that you're loving it. I was hit by this kind of idea of idols or excuses a couple of months ago. I was uh, in Johannesburg for a friend's wedding, and then I just got to spend some time with some of the um, advanced guys that are in Joburg, a really encouraging time, and um, I just felt God pressing to me through some of their conversations uh, about a behavior that I've kind of just sunk into, didn't choose it, didn't mean it, but just kind of sunk into I felt God pressing me on comfort and on ease and on how I spend so much of my time. Um, maybe I make excuses for being an introvert a little bit too much, but when my energy is out, I'm out. You're not going to see me. And I'll just spend hours watching series or entertaining myself. And I just felt God's pressing me quite hard on this. And he took me to Luke 16. Luke 16 is a different parable, a parable of the dishonest manager. And right at the end of Luke 16, he gives some uh, summary sentences for, um, I think he's talking about money, but all of idolatry. Things that really help us to understand uh, the nature of idols, the excuses that we give God. And uh, in Luke 16, uh, parable of the dishonest manager it says at the end this, no servant can serve two masters, for either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to one and despise the other. And the summary sentence for the whole parable is, you cannot serve God and money. For your excuse, your idol, the thing that you're battling with right now, just replace money, put the word in for, for your excuse or, or for your idol. You cannot serve God and whatever idol you're currently struggling with. And I like the way that it uses the word devoted here, because that's what we do. We devote ourselves to things. We are all in for things. And we need to know and we need to understand that God isn't interested in sharing his throne with anything. He's not interested in sharing his throne. He knows that everything else is going to fade away, it's going to fall short, it's going to sell you out. God is on his throne. He must be the first in our lives. Where are the idols that are in your lives, that are in our lives, that are entangling us with things that are going to stop us from accepting the invitation to the kingdom of God? You cannot serve God and something else. The story, the parable, doesn't actually end there. The majority of the time, Jesus in the parable and in the whole story of Luke 14, the majority of the time he's focused on challenging religion, challenging religious people, challenging people who think they are in but are actually out. But he ends the story with, with a beautiful ray of hope when he says that those who are outside the kingdom, 
are the people that God is going to bring into the kingdom. He ends with an invitation. There is an invitation to the kingdom that is here. And the invitation is to two groups of people. Number one, it is to the poor and the crippled and the lame and the blind. It is to those people who have been so cast down by worlds and societies and thoughts that that God is now saying he is going to raise up and he is going to exalt and he is going to honor and he is going to uplift and he is going to empower. He is centering people who have been pushed away and put to the margins for too long. He is going to say, these are the people that I am interested in. And, and, you, know, and you know, these people are, are real physical people. They're, they're in our congregation. Uh, there are some of us who are here. The, the poor, the crippled, the, bla- the lame and the blind real physical people that Jesus has a real interest in saying, no, 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 no. Society might cast you down, but you are being brought right into the center of my kingdom. You are in my affections. You are to be empowered and to be loved and to be delighted in. That is what God is saying. And he's saying something else about this group too. C.S. Lewis says, God gives only when he sees empty hands. God gives only when he sees empty hands. And these people know what it's like to come before God and say, I, I haven't got anything to offer. They are people who know what it is like to say, I can clearly acknowledge my dependence on you. I have no self-sufficiency. There's no pride that I have. Empty hands and humble hearts, bended knees, eyes that are lifted up. They are the poor in spirit and the pure in heart, like the Beatitudes say. They are the people who aren't going to justify the necessity of their inclusion based on their moral performance, on their good works that they have done, on how well they speak or how well they work. They are people who are going to come humbly and honestly before the Lord and say, I've got nothing but filthy rags, but you've got a robe of righteousness for me. And he's going to invite someone else too. He's going to say, in the parable of the master, go to the highways and go to the hedges. He's going to say, go outside of the city. And Jesus finishes Luke 13 with a lament over a city. With a lament and an angry, anguished, emotionally distraught lament over Jerusalem. And the sin and the idolatry and the unfaithfulness that is found in Jerusalem. And now he is saying, servant, go outside of the city. He's saying, look beyond the religious people. In the context of where we are in Israel's history, he's saying, my kingdom is for the Gentiles too. For us in our context, he's saying, the kingdom of God is open to anyone who is willing to accept the invitation. So there's nothing that can disqualify you. And there are no entry requirements that are here. And this king of the kingdom might look a little bit different to how you thought he did. But everyone in this room, the person who is here and hasn't yet decided to put their faith in Jesus, the invitation is for you. And you don't need to bring anything to the banquet. It is a free gift of God that no one may boast. 
is God calling you this morning? Is God offering you a free invitation? Is he saying you can come with no entry requirements? Is he saying to you that it's time to stop being on the outside? It's time to come into the center of the kingdom with me. Let's close our eyes for a moment. I think there are two things Jesus is doing with us right now. He has challenged and poked and prodded his way to the very center of the hearts of the religious. And he's challenging some of us now. Do not get caught out on the outside when there is a free invitation to come in. Do not get entangled by things that won't last, that things don't, don't love you back, by things that can never satisfy. Get caught up in the wonder and the grace of God for you. For some of us, there's an invitation this morning. There is an invitation to a king that you didn't know he was like how he is, to a kingdom that seems so different than what you imagined. There is an invitation for you this morning to accept the free gift, to be saved of your sins, have them forgiven and be done, and to come into a forever perfect, holy, fully satisfying union with him to enjoy the wedding feast of Revelation 19. While all of our eyes are closed, if there are any, is there is anyone in the room who you feel like you would like to accept the invitation this morning? You would like to accept and come into the kingdom and know what it is to have a real relationship with the King of Kings. Do you feel like God is asking you to do that now? While our eyes are closed, do you want to just uh, silently raise your hand so that, so that I can see? So is there anyone who wants to accept the invitation? A free gift. I see there's one hand. Gracious invitation to the kingdom. Four. Jesus is calling you in. He's calling you home. He's saying, I'm so different from what you think I am. Jesus, thank you so much that you call us. Thank you so much that you forgive us of our sins. You come and you save us. You bring us into the kingdom. You bring us into family. You bring us into this place where we no longer have to strive. We can just be satisfied in you. Jesus, come and be with uh, these four hands that are up now. Come and show them your love. Come and show them your concern for them. And come and show them the beautiful future that you have in the kingdom of God.